All right, we're going to be in Galatians today, and when I say we're going to be in Galatians, I mean we're only going to be in Galatians today. Um, shocking that uh, the reading is from, from Galatians. That we, I might mention a few other passages, but really we're only going to be in the book of Galatians, and um, it's good to be with you all. I, I know that we all say that. I think that each of us, when we stand up to do anything, we, we wind up saying that, and I think, I think it's true. It just, it, it's what's normal for us to say, but it also just coming from uh, a true, genuine care and love and appreciation for the fact that we have each other and that not only that, but that we're in the presence of God. And when we think about that, the fact that we can praise him, it should bring joy and gratitude into our hearts and we should express that. So um, given that said, I, I am thankful for, for you all and for just being here so we can worship God together. Um, so I've been doing some, some studying in Galatians. Uh, if, you're, if you've been here regularly over the past month, month and a half or so, you probably know that in, in the month of August, we went through Galatians, uh, specifically in chapter 5. Um, we went through the fruit of the Spirit. And then I, I had to do some study for another thing uh, that was also in Galatians and was specifically on part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so in doing that, I was just reading some of Galatians and a couple things stood out to me. And then I was reminded of when I was, I guess, in college or maybe it was when I was in high school. I remember that in Galatians 2, it was, there was a couple of verses there that were like my favorite verses ever. And probably the only two verses I memorized. I remember when I was younger, I had to memorize Ephesians 6. When it talks about the armor of God, and I only knew one verse because I saw the teacher made me memorize, so I knew that verse. I can't quote it to you now, but I remembered it then. And then there was Galatians 2, and it was this idea of it about being crucified with Christ, how it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in, in him. So I, I just memorized that. And so in reading through Galatians, that kind of stirred up some thoughts, and then I started looking at it more, and I, I realized that Galatians... I know it's a book that is written so that people on either side of the aisle, and when I say aisle, I don't mean Republican, Democrat, I mean Gentile or Jew. Um, either side of the aisle can know that they can have access to be, uh, to not only approach God, but they can be in Christ. They can be part of this family of God. And there's also this idea of justification that runs throughout Galatians. But, but what I was noticing was that so much of this book is about us being in Christ and then Christ being in us or living in us. So we can live in Christ and Christ can live in us. And I think that's what brings Paul to say what he does in Galatians chapter 2. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at both sides of that. I want to take a look at what does it mean and how important is it that we are in Christ. And then I want to take a look at how important it is that we understand what it looks like for Christ to live in us. Um, and, and I hope this will be helpful in it's not going to be a type of lesson where, you know, there's a lot of examples or abstract ideas. It's pretty much just going to be straight from the text. So let's go ahead and jump in and let's look at Galatians 1. We're going to go straight through Galatians starting in chapter 1. We're not going to read the whole book, uh, we're, but we are going to read uh, several sections. So Galatians chapter 1, and let's begin in verse 3. So Paul says to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So every time that something about being in Christ or what we have in Christ or uh, with Christ, from Christ, something like that, I try to pick almost all those out. And so we're going to look at those. So the, the first one I want to notice is that we are in Christ by God's grace through the gospel. So did you notice that in verse number six, that he is astonished that some of them are quickly deserting him who called you. I think that's God, the father. So God has called you and, and you can go back to verse three. We have peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is separating. There's God, the father, and there's, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse six, he called you, the God, the father called you in the grace of Christ and that these people are turning to a different gospel. So the first thing that I just want to point out is that we are in Christ. We are only in Christ by God's grace through the gospel. We can't be in Christ any other way. And when we talk about being in Christ, really what we're saying is how can we like bridge this gap between us and God? How can we be with God? And as we go on, he's going to talk about Abraham a lot. And he's going to talk about promises. I think all this conversation about being in Christ is to help us know not only how we can be pleasing to God, but how can we even be part of his family? And so first off in chapter one, he's surprised. He's shocked that they are leaving this gospel, leaving this gospel that allows them to be in the grace of God through Christ. So only in Christ can we have access to this grace of God. And we have that through the gospel. It says that he gave himself for us and delivered us in verses three and four. And then as we read in 6 and 7, there are other teachings and falsehoods going on. There, there are lies that are going on, distortions of the gospel. And, he, and they're, they're following those things. Maybe some of those things would be, well, yeah, you, you are a Christian. You're in Christ. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still hold to the festivals that we've always held to as, as Jews. Or the Jews are telling the Gentiles, we've always done this. And we've always been with God. We've, we're, we're part of God's family. So you should still do this. And that's what God wants you to do. Maybe it's some sort of distortion like that. But what he wants them to know is that the gospel is unchanged for them. Like it has not changed. They shouldn't go back to those old ways. They shouldn't try to incorporate some of those things into their way of life. Not to say that it's wrong for them to still hold themselves to some dietary restrictions or whatever it might be. That's okay, but don't think that that somehow is proving that you're in Christ. That's a different gospel. And so don't, don't follow that. So what this means for us, I think, is really important because verse 8 and 9, what we should understand is that this gospel that was unchanged for these people is unchanged for us as well. That means we don't need to go back to our old way of life where we thought we were somehow being pleasing to God, part of God's family, before we learned the truth in Christ. The gospel is unchanged, so people can always know how to be in Christ. This, this idea of the gospel and, and the grace of God are connected there in verse 6. So I think most of us would understand that God's grace has never changed. His desire to save and, and, the, and God's grace where he allows people to come to him, that's unchanged. 
but the way people get tripped up is the, the message, the gospel, right? That, that seems to be the thing that some people think can change. What I get from this is that it's unchanged. And he, and he even says, if an angel from heaven comes and brings another teaching, let him be accursed. And again, I say, he even says, uh, as we've said before, so now I say again. Well, when did he say it before? Well, well he just said it. <laughs> but I guess this is something they've been saying. They've been writing about this. They've been, they've been telling this around people like, don't listen to what other people are saying. Not just because we want to like control the narrative. You hear some people talk like that, like, oh, they're just trying to control the narrative. It's like they're trying to control a narrative because they want, only want you to think the way they want you to think. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of what he's talking about. But it's not from like a, a, a deceptive or um, with malice intent. It's so that they still can be in Christ and be participating in this grace of God. So the same thing for them, we need to carry over for ourselves. We need to understand and know that we are only in Christ by God's grace, and that's through the gospel, and that's unchanged. And if you have someone come and present something different to you, now it's one thing to, for them to present it and say, well, actually what you're saying or what you're doing or what you're believing in is not what is seen in the scripture. It's not part of the gospel. And then they show that to you, and then you're like, wow, I, I had no idea. I was wrong about this. Or I didn't understand this. That, that's actually a good thing. But if they're going any other direction other than the gospel, other than what was presented by the apostles, other than what was talked about by Jesus himself, then to, to you, that person should be as an accursed person. And, and not to say that you actually say that to them like I curse you or anything. Um, but they should be like an unclean person that you say what you're saying right now is thrown out, thrown out of here. Like I, I want nothing to do with that because it's not the truth that God has revealed. But if it is the truth and they show that, then there, there can be some dialogue and we, we need to take a look at that. All right. The next thing I want to go to is in chapter two. So I think that just understanding that in Christ, we have access to God's grace through the gospel. I, I think we are probably on the same page of that, but, but we need to make sure we're reminded of that and make sure that we believe that fully so that we don't, so that we're not affected and swayed by what other people say. The next thing is in chapter 2. And what we'll do is we'll go down to verse 15 and 16 in chapter 2. We already read 16 through 21. And so we'll, we're going to reread part of that. Um, beginning in, in verse 15 of Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ. Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified so now he brings up this justification so what I get from this is that true and complete justification is only in Christ it, it's, it's not from other things it's not from any other source you can't create justification peace with God acceptance by God by yourself. You can't do that in and of yourself. You can't find another way. Sometimes when there's, I'll give you an example uh, from, from when I was in school. I knew when I was in college that if I didn't do this by this time, by this date, that it was unacceptable by the teacher. Whatever it was I was trying to present was going to be unacceptable. 
William actually said this last week that uh, when he first week of school or second week of school, he didn't know one of the rules of one of the teachers was you have to turn in the homework at the beginning of class within the first five minutes or it's not acceptable. He didn't know that rule. Uh, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he didn't know that. So he talked to the teacher afterwards and said, hey, here's my homework. He said, I'm not comfortable with this because that's this is part of my rule. But he, he allowed it because William was unaware of that rule prior to it, right? So when, when we know that something is just, this is how it is, we can't try to find another way around it. Like from now on, that homework is unacceptable by William's teacher. So for me, when I was in school, I apparently was really good at begging. And I guess I can put on a, a pity face pretty easy because I was just a terrible student at times. And I remember specifically, I guess I was a, it was in my junior year. So I can't say I was a freshman and there was a good reason or anything, no excuses. <coughs> I just totally overslept a test. Like, and it wasn't even like it was 8 a.m., okay? And I say this with a smile, not because I'm proud, but because I look back and I'm like, what an idiot I was. <laughs> and what I had to do, I got there and it was a big test. And I got there and there was only like 15 minutes left and to take it. And so I go up to the teacher uh, immediately, and, I, and I'm just like, I, I have nothing. Like, I, I have no reason. I, I'm just, can, can I give a, get a little bit extra time? Like, I'll come to your office. If you have something already going on then right now, then, like, I can come to your place. I can come to, like, your office at any time. And, and if you can give me, like, 30 minutes to take this test. And it was nice enough to let that happen. Like, I, I don't remember, I, I blocked it on the memory how that all went down. And, the, and trust me, the grade was not that great for it. But what, what I'm trying to bring out is that I was accepted by him, not based on merit, not based on anything. It, it actually shouldn't have been accepted. There was a way that I should have done it, and I didn't do it that way. And so I just begged and pleaded, and he allowed that to happen. Um, that's not how it works with God. Like, he is gracious enough to even allow us to have access. We can't find our own way around it and just be like, I found a new way. And will that work, God? Can I be justified? Can I be counted as righteous before you? I know you said this, and I know that that in and of itself is, is grace that you've allowed that to happen, but I got another way. Or, well, I'm just kind of sleeping on this one. Can I try something else? True justification this complete justification when we are part of God's family, we are accepted by God, we have all the blessings of being with God, that's only in Christ. So what he actually says here in 15 and 16 is that it's not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way. We, are, we can be free from false justification, which was slavery. He brings that up in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, that there are people who were trying to get this justification, and it was false. It was not true. It, it, there were lies that people were spreading. You're not going to have that. And that was actually enslaving people, bringing them back into the slavery of Judaism and under the law. And he's saying, that's not how this works. You are justified only in Christ. And I think that this is important for us because he specifies that it's not by works of the law in verse 16. And I don't know if, I think what we usually focus on or what people focus on is, oh, it's works versus faith. I actually think, I read that a little bit differently. I think what he's saying is it's faith in Christ versus works of the law. I don't think he's setting up works and faith in opposition. He's putting the law and Christ in opposition to each other. 
And that should be very familiar to these people because they know the battle between Judaism and being a Gentile. And they understand that the law was just this dividing thing for them that they felt like they couldn't get into. They couldn't be part of God's family because the law wasn't really for them, they didn't feel. Well, we don't really feel that. So, t- so today, what we do is we put faith and works in opposition. They're, they're at odds against each other in our, in our day and age. And I, and I don't think that's what Paul is trying to bring out. But we need to understand that faith in Christ, according to what we're going to look at later on, actually does have works attached to it. It, it looks a certain way. And we, we, we even look at this in a little bit that even according to Abraham's faith, that that was not something that was just believed on internally. And this is pre-law, but he was justified by faith. And that looked a certain way. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Another thing that I do get is in verse 17 that Kelly's already read, that if I still sin, even though I've been justified in Christ, it doesn't negate Christ. It doesn't look poorly on Christ, the fact that I still sin. So he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. So, so we're in Christ, we've been justified by Christ, but we still struggle with sin. Well, Christ has no part in sin. He has no part with it. Our justification is in Christ through faith, so we live faithful lives. But what, what happens when we slip up? Well, when we slip up and when we don't live faithful lives, Christ is still unchanged. We just have to get back in Christ or, or renew ourselves in Christ. Faith in Christ means that Christ lives in us, according to verse 20. So this isn't by the law. This means that we live different lives, and we do this out of faith, not to nullify God's grace, but relying on it for righteousness, according to verse 21. So Paul even says, verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We're not seeking righteousness through the law. We're seeking righteousness through Christ, through lives that we live, where Christ lives in us and through us, according to verse 20. But that, but that means we have changed lives. So true justification in Christ it means that we live differently. It means that we are changed, that we live faithful lives, that now not only, can we, uh, not only can we make sure that we are still in Christ, but actually we are always participating in the grace of God by doing that. All right, the, the third thing I want to go to is in chapter 3. So Galatians 3, beginning in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give you a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. Who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So the in Christ here is back in verse 14. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Faith, of, faith in Christ, it seems like he is equating to faith, the faith of Abraham. 
in verse 21 and 22, which we haven't read yet, but we'll read that in a second. But the whole thing that he's trying to bring out here is that being in Christ leads to partaking in promises. Being in Christ means we are heirs. And we're heirs because there was a promise that was given out to Abraham a long time ago. And that promise was that through your offspring, this will happen. And so he, he doesn't focus on the being blessed part of that promise. He focuses on the offspring part. So he's like, it's not through your offsprings, meaning many, through all of your people that will be born uh, under you. But he says it's to your offspring. And he actually says, that's Christ. Well, for Abraham, did, did he know that was Christ or did he think that was Isaac? I, I think that a lot of what Abraham believed was the blessing was coming through Isaac. That that was like the, the promise that was coming to him and for all people. But what we see is that that's not true. That, that actually in a greater way, in a more complete way, that the promise was going to be through Christ, through one offspring. And that that's something we are able to partake in. Whether we're Gentiles, whether we were Jews, whether we feel like we've always had the law, or we've, whether we feel like we've always been in Christ, no matter what it is, no matter if we've been estranged from, from God for so long, we can be heirs and partake in the promises of God in Christ. Let's go ahead and read in verse 21. Skip down a little bit to verse 21 of Galatians 3. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So here's another in Christ. And what he's saying here is that we are sons that receive promises. And he says that that is life in verse 21 that could give life. That's what these promises are. But, but how does that happen? Well, he says here that it's faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we believe we have this faith in Jesus Christ and now we are heirs. We are sons of God. We partake in the promises of God. But that's not all he says, because if you go down and then we continue reading in verse 23, he says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So he's kind of trying to, he's not backtracking, but he's trying to clarify that the law had a purpose. It wasn't like an evil thing, but it brought to light sin and even more sin because now they know the law. Again, Abraham was pre-law. Did he know what sin was? Well, yeah, because he had instructions by God, but he didn't have the law. So when the law comes, there's more instructions by God. So now they know sin more. They know how to sin more, and they do sin more. All right, so I think that's what he's doing in 23 and 24. Then he says verse 25, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. There's, there are several in Christ in, or through Christ in this whole section here. How can belief and faith be how I'm in Christ, but also baptism is how I put on Christ? Or how can other passages like Romans 10 talk about confession being how I'm in Christ? 
How can it be multiple things? How is that possible? Because what it sounds like here is we put Christ on in baptism, but it almost sounds like he's saying, but you've already been in Christ. But that doesn't make any sense either because he clarifies what it means to be in Christ in verse 26 and 27, that you are sons of God through faith for as many. So how does that happen? How are we in Christ as sons of God through faith? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This putting on Christ and being in Christ seems like it's the same thing, according to what Paul is saying. He's, he's clarifying what it means to be in Christ by saying what he does in verse 27, I think. But he's already said that we're in Christ by faith, by believing, and, 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 and that that's the faith, of Christ, or faith in Christ that allows us to even believe. Well, well here's how I think this makes sense. I think, I think the same thing is said of Abraham. We're not going to turn there, but if you want to look on your own time, Romans 4 talks about how Abraham was counted, it was counted as righteousness to him. And, and this whole text is talking about justification and righteousness. So he was counted as righteous, justified according to God uh, by a certain thing. And the Hebrews 11 actually says different things. So how is Abraham justified? How is he considered righteous? Well, according to Romans 4, it's because he believed that a son would come to him in his old age. But then you go to Hebrews 11, and it says that it's because he left his home for a land that he didn't know. And then also later on in Hebrews 11, it's because he went to offer up Isaac by faith. And all of those things say that that's how he was justified. And that's how he was considered righteous. How can it be all those things? Well, the best way I know how to explain it is that when we have instructions from God, all those things teach us how to be justified and be counted as righteous. It's not just one thing. When we have instructions from God, and even if they, they come, you know, if, if they were just coming like years apart, like they were for Abraham, those things are teaching you how to be justified and counted as righteous before God. So, so here's the, the message that, that I get from this, or the main point that I get from this. If we want to partake in the promises of God, if we want to be heirs, if we want to have life, if we want to be considered part of the family of God, then it's going to take the same faith of Abraham, which means that we have to make sure that we're in Christ, that we have faith through Christ. And what that means is that we actually have to make sure we understand not every detail of every single thing, because that, that, that's just hard. But what we have to do is we have to consider the teaching and the instruction from God as all equal. And we, and we do that. And then we can say, you know what? I've been justified. I'm counted as righteous. Not because I make my righteousness, but, but it's all through faith, which is the same thing that happened with Abraham. It, it is interesting that in verse 27, he says that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's kind of new language, put on Christ. And, and I, I don't know what all you, you might think that that means, but I did read somewhere where that's in connection to Isaiah 61. And if you want to go there or write that down at some point, you can go there. But I think that when he says put on Christ, I think he's equating that with salvation and righteousness. Because according to Isaiah 61, there's this idea of putting that on. And then what comes from that is salvation and righteousness. And here he's saying that you do that by being baptized. And you do that by being by your faith. And you do that because you believe in Jesus. So I think we see the kind of the connection between all three of these things. And I know that that's kind of difficult because there are a lot of other teachings. We come from other backgrounds. But then you go on to verse 27 
or excuse me, not go on, but um, kind of go go back to to verse twenty seven, and it sounds like there's there are now there's no barriers, right? Because in verse twenty eight and twenty nine, so now there's none of these things. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male or female, there's no slave or free. All you have to do is be in Christ, and to do that, all you have to do is believe in Him. You have to have faith in Him. You, he says here you have to put Him on by being baptized. All of that, and then there are other teachings that tell us what, what we need to do as well. So now it doesn't matter where you come from. Now it doesn't matter what you look like. Now it doesn't matter what you know or don't know. Now it doesn't matter um, what, like, the, the, the weight that is on your shoulders. None of those things matter because you're actually in Christ. We, have, we don't have any barriers from the promises. We have total access to God's family now. So then let, let's go on to chapter 5. In chapter 4, there were, I think only, um, there was one idea of being in Christ in chapter 4. But it really is just a continuation about being sons and heirs and Abraham and Sarah and everything with that. So we're going to skip to chapter 5. The next point I want to bring out is that Christ lives in us as long as we stay in him. So you look at chapter 5, we're going to begin verse, in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who, put, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In Christ, if Christ is in us, then he will always be in us as long as we stay in him. He says in verse 1 that we need to stand firm, therefore, because we have been set free. But that is only in Christ. But then he says in verse 4, you're severed from Christ. That's a, that's a really uncomfortable thing for some people to hear. And it's really hard for some people to accept that you can be separated and severed from Christ. That you once were joined with. You were in Christ and, and now you're not. Well, how does that happen? Well, he says that the old ways of justification take us away from Christ. Because you're, you're trying to be justified by God a different way. So you make null and void Christ in your life. And that, that seems really weird for us because I, I don't think any of us are trying to hold to a certain law or anything. But what does that look like in our lives? Maybe what that looks like is that we have our standard of this is what I do and then I'm pleasing to God. And now it no longer becomes about faith in Christ. It, it becomes about just this, these rules that I follow in my life. It's one thing to like have some rules that we say, because of my faith in Christ, I'm going to do these things. But if we somehow separate that, what we're doing is we're removing Christ. And we're, we're no longer trying to be justified by him. And that's kind of what they were doing. So maybe for some people, I don't know if this really applies to anyone here, but for some people it's, oh, I'm going to be there on Sunday every single time. I'm going to worship with the saints on Sunday. Why? <laughs> because you're in Christ? Because you want to glorify God? Or just because that's what you do? Well, in a way, you're, you're separating Christ from, from what you're doing. 
Or maybe for some people it's uh, that they're not going to participate in certain things. Like I know some people will, will say things like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to here, – here's, here's an example that might apply to some people in here might not. But I know some people that will hold themselves to a certain standard of saying, I don't, I don't agree with premarital sex at all. And then the reasons they give are almost like more practical than anything, right? It ruins relationships or things like that or because of potential STDs and things like that or, well, I just don't want the person that I one day marry, I don't want them to think bad of me because I – well, where's Christ in that? And, and I, so I'm not saying that none of those reasons are valid. What I'm saying is they're not based in Christ. Now, if they are and then those are like other reasons added on top, I suppose that's fine. But the basis of everything we do needs to be that this is because we're in Christ and we're seeking to stay in him. Not because of what other people are going to think or because of any sort of practical everyday living type of thing. Whatever way we want to be justified in the sight of God, if, if it's not based in Christ, then it's going to take us away from him, actually. And then he goes on to say at the end of chapter 5 that the flesh takes us away from Christ. None of us try to live according to the flesh to actually be justified by God, but that's in our past. And what he says is that we have to crucify the flesh. He says we have to put to death the flesh, that those things are in the past and that they're not coming back alive. We can't allow them to come back alive. What happens when we do, though? Well, again, going back to what we talked about already, you're not affecting Christ when you do that. You're affecting your stance and your situation being in Christ. So what do we do? Well, according to some other texts, what we need to do is we need to confess our sins. According to other texts, we need to repent and turn away from those things. Now, when we turn away from them, we, we, need, to, we need to leave them in the past. What happens when we go back? What happens when we go back to those things? Well, we go to passages like in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, where it talks about if we return to those things and if, they, if we willfully sin. If we willfully sin, he says that there, there's nothing left for us. I think it's hard for us to cope with this, and we don't have the time to go through this today. But willful sin is different than, um, than, than truly struggling with a certain sin. And if you're struggling with a certain sin, then what you need is you need to humble yourself, and you need to ask for help, and you need to approach God, you need to change your life around. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think that we think it's super extreme when Jesus talks about cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. It's better to lose those things than to be cast into hell, right? Um, but if we willfully sin, then we're not relying on Christ at all. We're actually somehow still wanting to be justified while living in the flesh. You're like me oversleeping your test and still wanting to get a good grade. And still, wanting, still wanting to be acceptable by the teacher. It's not, gonna, it's not how it works. That's not the way the gospel is presented. Well, when, when do we crucify the flesh? Well, I think it's when we die with Christ. I think Romans 6 tells us that we die with Christ by being baptized. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. So now we're in Christ. Now the Spirit lives in us and now we walk by the Spirit. Which is exactly what he goes on to say here in Galatians chapter 5. Alright, so I've talked a lot and now I just want to bring up two things that will kind of wrap it up as far as application. Freedom and justification before God is only in Christ. There's no other way. So the lesson from that is to be in Christ and stay there. Don't leave. But make sure you're in Christ. We die to the law and any other path that where we strive to be righteous. 
and we die to the ways of the flesh. And, there's, and there seems to be a clear way to be in Christ according to Galatians. He mentioned that we believe. He mentioned a true faith. He mentioned baptism. And then he said that we need to stay in him. We need to uh, persist in him. That's what we need to do to be in Christ. So then, and then the next thing is that freedom and faith in Christ produces fruit. We didn't talk much about that, but there were, there were some things in chapter 5 and it specifically that help us see that. And, and really the point from this is to make sure that Christ is living in you, which is what he talked about back in Galatians 2. Christ lives in you. He talked about freedom a lot in Galatians. We have the freedom to now have faith in Christ, but this faith is at work through love in Galatians 5 verse 6. And then through love, we serve one another in Galatians 5 verse 13. So the takeaway point, if you're already in Christ, don't abuse the freedom in Christ just to be selfish. Don't, don't abuse it. You're supposed to use your freedom in Christ to bear fruits. And this would be considered the fruit of the Spirit. We need to, through love, serve one another. By the Spirit and our love of the brothers and sisters, we need to keep serving. So... I don't, I don't know where everyone is in their life. I mean, I think we all know each other really well, but I still don't know what's going on in your hearts. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know if what you're struggling with is confidence. Like, are you in Christ or not? I don't know if what you're struggling with is stubbornness, thinking like, I know I'm not, and that it is what it is. <laughs> I don't know if what you're struggling with is applying it and saying, I'm in Christ, now I need to do things. I don't know what it is, but I think Galatians proves to be a good book to show us this is how you're in Christ, and this is how Christ is in you. So my encouragement for us today is to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in Christ. And then the part two is that if you're in Christ, make sure Christ is living in you and through you. And you're only going to do that by love and service and faith. And those are the three big things that he talks about in Galatians. So if you do need prayers, if you need help, if you need to be in Christ or you want to talk about that, if you want to know how to better apply that and, and how you can actually have Christ live in you and you want some specifics, then I think this is a good group to talk with. I think that you should talk with each other. I think that we need to pray to God for understanding how, we'll, how Christ will live in us. But the, I think the biggest thing that we need to answer first is, are you in Christ? And if not, we need to be in him. And if you're struggling to be in him, then I would encourage you to reach out and do whatever it takes to stay in him. We do have a song that we call the Song of Encouragement or uh, Invitation Song. I think this is just meant to be a, a time where we reflect a little bit. And we f reflect not on the person next to you, but you reflect on yourself. But maybe part of this reflection is you do think of the person next to you. Well, that means you need to have a conversation with them because you're concerned about them. But first and foremost, think about yourself and where you stand before God as we sing this song.